Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Do you remember when you first played it? It was sometime in second grade. Late at night, I think I had a kind bar in front of me. Dominic Skokaho is eight years old. He's a huge fan of a game called Fortnite. Yeah, I heard that it was like really popular and like everyone was just playing it. My friends were playing it. Fortnite launched in 2017. Since then, it's become one of the most successful video games ever created. 250 million players, billions of dollars in revenue. Last year, Netflix said its biggest competitor for eyeballs isn't a TV rival like HBO, it's Fortnite. As is often the way with things kids love, parents have some concerns about Fortnite. Mostly that kids love it too much. Fortnite is so addictive and consuming that Dominic's parents strictly limit his access. You get to play once a month. How often do you wish you could play? Basically every single day, <laughs> unless I wanted to do something else. But you rarely want to do something else? Or... Yeah. <laughs> so where did this phenomenon come from? Behind this wildly popular video game is a 30-year-old company based in North Carolina that has repeatedly shaken up the world of gaming and along the way made its eccentric founder a multi-billionaire. Do you know what company makes Fortnite? Epic Games. I'm Seth Stevenson. Welcome to Thrilling Tales of Modern Capitalism. Today on the show, the Fortnite founder, Tim Sweeney and Epic Games. Where did Epic Games begin? So it was founded in 1991 by a chap called Tim Sweeney. Simon Parkin is a contributing writer for The New Yorker. He covers the video game industry. He was sort of a, a programming genius who had uh, started making games when he was just 11 years old. When he was still in elementary school, Tim Sweeney received an Apple II computer as a gift from his older brother. Sweeney almost immediately started programming very simple games on that computer. And then he began to test those games out by letting other kids play them while he watched. He was quite savvy for a teenager because he knew that if he wanted his games to be successful, he needed to make sure that players of different abilities could get into them and understand what they were doing. So he would invite all the kids from the local neighborhood over to come and play his games that he was designing. And he would watch them while they were playing and make adjustments and take notes based on if they got confused or if they got stuck in a certain bit. Uh, and then he'd go away and adjust the game accordingly. It was in these early years that Tim Sweeney started to figure out the very things that would later make him so successful. First, let people try your stuff for free and good things will happen. And second, listen to those people's feedback about the products you make and act on it. When Sweeney eventually incorporated his company, he applied those insights over and over again at bigger and bigger scale. 
Sweeney launched his company in earnest in 1991, when his games got good enough that people would pay money for them. The first name he chose for his company was Potomac Computer Systems, after his hometown in Maryland. He later changed it to Epic Mega Games, and then just Epic Games. The first game Sweeney sold was called ZZT, and he chose that name because it would come dead last alphabetically in lists of games for sale. Everyone else was naming their games with A's, so he thought he might stand out. ZZT had graphics, but they were really basic. Just shapes made out of letter and number characters that you could move around with the cursor keys, collecting treasure and shooting at enemies. To sell the game, Sweeney used a business model that was popular in the world of software at the time. The model was called shareware. It's what we now call freemium. He'd give out the early levels of ZZT for free to kind of get you hooked. And then if you wanted to keep playing the later levels, you had to pay for them. Sweeney started selling about four or five copies of ZZT a day, shipping out floppy disks by mail from his parents' house in Potomac. The most famous video games released in 1991 were for consoles, like the Super Nintendo or the Sega Genesis. But ZZT was an MS-DOS game to play on your personal computer, aimed at a slightly nerdier audience. People loved playing the game, but for a lot of customers, the best part of it was that it had a sort of editing program built into it that you could use to design your own video games. It was a tool that made creating games like ZZT easier for people who weren't as gifted at programming as Tim Sweeney. Sweeney was a college undergrad when he made ZZT. He already had years of video game coding under his belt. So when he needed to pick a major at the University of Maryland, he decided to shore up other parts of his skill set. He decides to study mechanical engineering, which turns out to be a fortuitous decision because during that course, he learns all sorts of complicated maths to do with 3D and vectors and stuff that he wouldn't have learned in a computer science course. Math and mechanical engineering are subjects that weren't super relevant when Sweeney was making text-based computer games with rudimentary graphics. But as computers got more and more powerful and video games got more and more complex and visual, Sweeney's education left him perfectly situated to take advantage. And then, you know, in the late 90s, when computers become able to render 3D in real time in such a way that video games require them to be, he then has all of this mathematical knowledge from his university degree in order to be one of the first people to put together a fast-paced 3D shooting game. And that's, that's Unreal, Epic's first major hit game that they put out. Sweeney's first blockbuster, a game titled Unreal, had stunning visuals. His rivals took note. Fairly early into the process after Unreal comes out, Tim uh, and the team at Epic start to receive inquiries from video game developers saying, hey, the software that you use to put Unreal together, is there any chance you could sell that to us so that we can use it to make our 3D games? And they have this light bulb moment of, well, why don't we license this software and we can have a new revenue stream this way? So pretty soon they launch the Unreal Engine and the idea is that they sell licenses to people who want to make a game. When it came to the long-term fortunes of Sweeney and his company, the important thing wasn't so much the game Unreal as it was the extremely powerful software that was created in order to bring Unreal to life. This software was an engine for making beautiful 3D video games. It was called the Unreal Engine. It's kind of the same thing that happened with Sweeney's first shareware game, ZZT, where people loved the tool that made the game because it was so easy to use the tool to make other great games. 
Unreal Engine made it quicker and easier for other computer programmers, even the ones who didn't major in mechanical engineering, to program an attractive, complicated video game like Unreal. Of course, Epic kept using the Unreal Engine to create its own games. They had a gigantic hit with a game called Gears of War. That game wasn't just a big success. It also served as great marketing for the Unreal Engine and the magic it could do. At first, Epic charged other people a licensing fee to use the Unreal Engine for their own projects. But in 2015, with the release of a new version, Epic hit on a better way to make money off it. I'm Tim Sweeney, the founder of Epic Games, creators of the Unreal Engine. As of today, we're making Unreal Engine 4 freely available for everybody to download and use. This strategy of giving the software away for free, like with shareware back in the day, let Unreal Engine spread far and fast. It became the industry standard. It was easy to hire programmers who knew how to use it. And the royalty policy let the big successful games made with Unreal Engine subsidize all the projects that didn't make money. It's a business model open to everybody and one in which we succeed only when you succeed. So come to unrealengine.com, download the software, and start creating. Profits from the Unreal Engine powered Epic Games' balance sheet for a couple of years. But by 2017, Epic was on the verge of its next and its biggest success. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I met with Tim Sweeney probably in the spring of 2017, which is a few months before the first iteration of Fortnite comes along. And I have to say that when I'm talking to him, he mentioned Fortnite and hardly anyone had heard about Fortnite at this time. When Fortnite does first come out, it doesn't make a splash at all. There's not much interest in it. As Simon Parkin remembered it, the initial version of Fortnite was not a smash hit. It was a game where you basically roam around on an island and shoot stuff. But then Epic tweaked it. They came up with a mode of play where instead of you against the computer, it's you against 99 other real human beings out there on the internet, all of you engaging in a brutal fight to the death. This new mode of play was called Battle Royale. A hundred players are dropped onto an island with nothing but a pickaxe. They have to scavenge for materials and pick up weapons and then fight each other until the last one's standing. Or, as Dominic describes it, You're in a giant blue bus powered by a hot air balloon and jump out of it and skydive to a location on the map. But no one is your friend. 
So, like, you kill anyone you see. Fortnite wasn't the first video game with a battle royale mode, but it perfected it with fluid and intuitive gameplay powered by the Unreal Engine. The graphics were fun and lively, not dark and scary like in most fighting games. Fortnite was violent, but the violence was just cartoony enough that parents could stomach their kids playing the game. How bloody is it compared to other games you might play? It's not bloody at all. In fact, when you kill someone, some random flying robot comes along and does a little weird hologram scanning thing and the guy disappears with, and the person's items are laid out on the floor for you to pick them up. Once the Battle Royale mode was introduced, Fortnite took off at an absurd pace. It was helped by network effects. The more of your friends who were on it that you could play with or against, the more you wanted to be on it too. Almost immediately, this play mode becomes very popular. And in fact, between September the 15th, 2017, when it comes out, and the end of December, it's amassed something like 40 million players. So it just gives you a a sense of the scale of the success that suddenly comes along. Epic Games is a privately held company, so hard numbers can be difficult to come by. But estimates suggest that as of the end of last year, Fortnite had amassed 250 million players worldwide and was collecting as much as $370 million a month, with Epic clearing a profit of around $3 billion a year. The company as a whole has been valued at $15 billion, and its investors include Disney and the Chinese mega-conglomerate Tencent. Tim Sweeney himself is worth something north of $7 billion, which is quite something given that he launched this company from his parents' basement. Here he is at a recent conference, talking about his low expectations when he began. Hi, thank you all for coming. You know, when I started at Epic Games in 1991, um, I had this sinking feeling that I was too late, that the leading developers and publishers had already been established and that I wouldn't really have a chance. Um, and so it's been awesome to watch over the past 30 years this industry evolve from essentially a garage business into nearly a $100 billion a year global industry that's a powerhouse. But you know, throughout this time, We've seen a lot of Sweeney eventually moved Epic Games from his parents' house to a corporate campus in North Carolina, near Raleigh. He's bought himself a few fancy sports cars along the way, but he seems to spend most of his money buying up land in North Carolina to conserve it. He apparently loves to hike in the woods. He made a fortune from creating imaginary digital worlds, and he's used that fortune to preserve parts of the real world. You met him. Can you tell me about the circumstances when you met him and what kind of person he struck you as? I met him in Sweden at the Nordic video game conference where he was giving the keynote speech. Probably one of the last interviews he did, I think. I think as soon as Fortnite came out, he probably felt he didn't need to give any interviews. Um, he is like a typical sort of nerdish guy of his age. He's, he's 50 now. He sort of wears rimless spectacles and black hoodies and very much looks like a computer programmer, but obviously very, very smart. You know, not only a talented mathematician and engineer and programmer, but also has a fair amount of business acumen. So Tim Sweeney basically sounds like every other tech founder. An intelligent guy who, like Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg, never bothered to finish college. A nerdy fellow, gifted at programming, clever at business. So what in particular explains the absolutely phenomenal success of his video game Fortnite? There's that idea of iteration, of constantly tweaking your products and trying out new ideas. 
For example, Fortnite for a little while had biplanes, so so players could team up and get in an aeroplane and fly around. They'll try that for a few weeks. They'll see how it affects the balance of the game, and then they'll take it out again if it's not working. And there are hundreds of examples of things that they've put into Fortnite, tried for a bit, and taken out. So the game is being constantly refined at a very regular, well-organized intervals. And I think that's certainly part of the reason for the success, because for players, there's a sense of you know if you're heavily invested in a game like this and that's what you're playing every day you want evidence from the game maker that they are really on it that they're responding to feedback from the community that they're making the changes that they're improving things and then there's the idea of offering the goods gratis the freemium model just like his early hit zzt fortnite is free to play you give people a taste but once they start playing and they love the game epic will start selling them things You can buy special costumes for your character to wear inside the game, or you can buy the ability for your character to do special dances. To be clear, these don't have anything to do with winning the game. They don't make your character any stronger. But people will still pay real money for this imaginary stuff. They'll also pay for real stuff, Fortnite merchandise. One of my friends has a Fortnite backpack and a Fortnite lunchbox. Do you have Fortnite gear? No, only the action figures. Action figures. Which action figures do you have? I have Ragnarok, Drift, Jonesy, Chapter 1. I have no idea what Dominic's talking about. Rustlord, Bright Bomber, Cuddle Team Leader. But I do know that the money he, or his parents, spent on these action figures... What's his name? I think it's Dino. ...goes to Epic Games' revenue. One of Dominic's favorite things about Fortnite's Battle Royale mode... It's just that he can hang out with his friends over the internet in this meticulously crafted world where they can shoot stuff. Simon Parkin says that's what really made the game take off. You know, I've got a 12-year-old son and, you know, sometimes they'll play Battle Royale and they'll be playing to win. But a lot of the time they'll just be mucking around in one of the game modes where you can just sort of make your own rules and do whatever you want to do and they'll just be chatting. And, And actually I play with them too and it's I suppose the equivalent to perhaps in the 50s when a father would go out like hunting with his son or something. Like we'll just hang out and chat and play and it's a good way to bond. In terms of sheer cultural ubiquity, Fortnite might have peaked a year or two ago. People aren't playing Fortnite quite as much this year as they were playing last year and the year before. Is it still cool, do you think? Do you think kids still like it? Yeah, kids definitely still like it, but it's not as huge and big and popular as it was a year ago. But the game is still a powerhouse. And during the quarantine that's happened due to the coronavirus, Fortnite has once again become a favored place for people to hang out together, virtually. Fortnite even recently added a party royale mode, where there's no shooting of guns, just shooting the breeze in various nonviolent contexts, which aligns with some of Tim Sweeney's grander ambitions. Even before the pandemic that shut down real-world gatherings, Sweeney spoke a lot about virtual reality and how he believes that in the near future, we'll be spending a ton of our time in the virtual realm, conducting business, making friends, and doing everything else we do in real life, but doing it in a constantly updating, beautifully rendered 3D world the kind of world the Unreal Engine is designed to create. The onset of social distancing is only accelerating our shift to virtual spaces, like Fortnite. 
But on the subject of Fortnite, let's give Dominic the last word. Because Dominic wants to make clear that although he loves to play Fortnite, and he owns many Fortnite action figures, and he dressed as a Fortnite character for Halloween, he is definitely not like... Oh my gosh, Fortnite, 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 must always have Fortnite, 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 and more Fortnite, Fortnite, Fortnite. That's our show for this week. This episode was produced by Jess Miller and Asha Saluja. Technical direction from Kevin Bendis. Special thanks to Slate's politics editor, Tom Skoka, for allowing us to make his son podcast famous. Gabriel Roth is Slate's editorial director for audio. Alicia Montgomery is the executive producer of podcasts at Slate. June Thomas is senior managing producer of the Slate Podcast Network. We're still a new show, so if you like what you hear, please leave us a review in iTunes. It really helps other listeners find us. And you can also help us make new episodes by signing up for Slate Plus. It's only $35 for the first year, and you'll get this and other Slate podcasts ad-free. Sign up now at slate.com slash thrillingplus. I'm Seth Stevenson. We'll be back with more thrilling tales next week.